We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Appreciate the music today, both the choir and the offertory, special. That special was in reference to a lullaby sung to a baby, but referencing Christ who came as a baby. And why did he come? Why did he come? Came to be the savior of the world. And, uh, you know, we're trying to, especially with our youngest, we're trying to help him understand what Christmas is about. You think that's hard for a four, almost five-year-old? <laughs> so uh, just kind of keep going over with him and teaching him, teaching him what it's about and trying to anchor, anchor him in the knowledge of the gospel. And we'd appreciate your prayers that way. We believe the Lord is working on his heart and his understanding Still doesn't have it quite all figured out. He, he I, I, I still, <laughs> I love the way, I love Doctrine by Joe. <laughs> doctrine by Joe is kind of a fun thing. Uh, <laughs> he understands that he's a sinner. And we don't know what God's going to do with his life. We don't put expectations that Joe's going to be in ministry or be a preacher, but he's got some of that going. And... And especially along these lines, he says, uh, we're all sinners, Dad. I'm like, you're right, Joe. Is that an accusation or a, I, uh, y- yes. Girls don't know that, Dad. <laughs> Followed up with, but they are. <laughs> I just, way to go, Joe. <laughs> Uh, It's funny. Anyway, so Christmas is a time of reflection over God making a way for us to be forgiven. And that is really the title of today's message. It's forgiveness and restoration. Forgiveness and restoration. And it is a core component to the gospel. It is it is what the gospel is about. You could say, what is Christmas about? It is the incarnation of Christ. You could say it's about love. Uh, you, could, you give those descriptions and you would not be wrong, but it is, it is God in love coming in human flesh to do for man what he could not do for himself, to do for you what you could not do for yourself, to die in your place as the holy one, the sinless one, to take all of your sin upon him, all of it. To pay for your sin through the giving of his life and the shedding of his blood and satisfying the wrath of God against you by taking it upon himself and by rising from the dead, proving and validating that his death was sufficient His payment was sufficient. His payment was accepted. And that he truly is God who then has power over life and death and can give you everlasting life, everlasting forgiveness of sins because Jesus paid it all. So that gift, though, has to be received. And it's given as the gospel, the good news extended to all, that if we would receive it, He would give us an inheritance. He would make us his children and would guarantee the safe conduct of our soul when separated from this body into the presence of God in heaven. Praise God for the gospel, huh? 
So forgiveness is a big deal, amen? Forgiveness is a big deal. How do we do at forgiving? Are we good at forgiveness? Uh, well, I guess we'll see the next time it gets tested, right? <laughs> For forgiveness really only finds its application when there's been an offense. You see, forgiveness is a nice concept until it comes home to you, and then you find yourself struggling over what do I do with that? Any of you ever want to get back at somebody? No. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, we pick up, and I'm just going to take it verse by verse here, and we're going to have a small reflection of looking back because of the context of the passage. This passage is born out of what Paul is addressing in 2 Corinthians 1, where there was a defense that he had to make uh, about his ministry. And in verse 5, he says that there is a grief. And again, forgiveness has its application when there's a grief. It has an application when somebody's done something wrong to you. And I, it is my hope that no one's done anything wrong to you. And it's also my knowledge that live long enough and you will recognize that people will do wrong things to you. He says, if any have caused grief, he hath not grieved me, but in part, that I may not overcharge you all. I'm going to tell you that that last phrase is a little bit difficult to work through, but we're going to work it through. And the first part of this, if any have caused grief, Paul is referencing an issue raised by his not coming to the Corinthian church on a particular planned visit, as he had originally desired to do. He addresses that largely in the latter part of 2 Corinthians 1. And verse 17, where we read, When I therefore was thus minded, did I use lightness? Or the things that I purpose, do I purpose according to the flesh? That with me there should be a yea, yea, and nay, nay, or a vacillating on decision-making based on what suits his whim. So latent in that response of 2 Corinthians 1.17 are a lot of accusations that Paul is dealing with. His love is also questioned, and it seems to be that that is defended in the first few verses of 2 Corinthians 2, primarily in verse 4, where we read, For out of much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote unto you with many tears, not that ye should be grieved, but that ye might know the love which I have more abundantly unto you. So Paul is defending and having, by the way, it's one of the worst positions to be in when you're having to defend yourself. It is also apparent in this that the accuser, if you take the context together, that his authority as an apostle, that his sincerity of his message, that his sincerity of heart, all that he was trying to do with the Corinthians was brought in question by some accuser, by some dissenter within the body. So it does happen. So in particular, there was someone that had caused grief. Now, it's a little, little history here. Uh, commentaries disagree, and commentators like to argue over what offense is he talking about. There is a, it's a common uh, thread that many people are saying that what he's addressing is found in 1 Corinthians 5. I disagree. Uh, the reason being is what you find in 1 Corinthians 5 is a moral issue that was being addressed very specifically. And that doesn't seem to be the case here. Instead, 
the accuser here is someone who had influence in the church, purporting themselves to be a spiritual person, and then proposing that, uh, or bringing into question Paul's authority, his love, and his care for the people. So all those things don't really seem to fit 1 Corinthians 5. Now, if someone wants to say, but I still think it applies to 1 Corinthians 5, well, that's fine. Uh, I just know this. There was a grief. And in that grief, Paul is having to defend against that. And in particular, there was someone. There was someone in that body who was a dissenter. His wound was not only to Paul, but as Paul is saying here in verse 5, it was to be borne by the church as well. His grief uh, was to Paul, yes, but to the church in part as well. The church had been hurt by this dissenter. So he says, if any has caused grief, he hath not grieved me, but in part. In other words, I'm not the only one who has suffered this grief. The church has experienced it as well. Now, isn't this just basic, simple truth? That when there's a grief in the church, it's, it doesn't stay contained between two individuals. It tends to flower. <laughs> it tends to cast its seeds to others. It tends to find justification in people choosing sides. Hey, can you believe what they did? And then uh, bending people to that persuasion. Hey, did you know they did this? And kind of getting people to rally to your side. And then the other person doing the same. And this falls back down to the category of God help us to be builders and not breakers. Amen? You with me? In your church life history, do you ever want to be the dissenter? Now, when I say dissenter, I don't mean someone who dissents in having a different opinion, but in someone who is a divider, someone who unnecessarily makes issue where there should not be, or when there's a problem, that a problem is not handled in a way that honors God so that we bring harm to the church. Can we all say here this morning, God help us to never be the breaker but the builder? That's really what we're after. Now, I've labored over this, and I'm, I, I've really said, what do I do? How do I handle this? Uh, do you think I could give you some illustrations this morning? In history and church, there's going to be problems that come up. There are going to be differences of opinion. There's even going to be potentially uh, given false motives to someone over, well, they did that for this reason. Have you ever had that done to you? Where someone has given a motive to you that you would not own and put a statement across your life that was not true from your heart or sentiment. And isn't it interesting when that's done, it, it, it seems to be done with the blackest of intention. It's like maligning on purpose. What is the deal? How is, and what, what, why does that, why does it bother us? Well, where is love to be shown? Well, in particular, it's to be shown amongst God's people. If you want to know what love looks like, it's 1 Corinthians 13, at least in part. And there's a lot of caring about each other that needs to happen, but it doesn't always work that way. 
This is what's going on in this, this, uh, this passage. So the deal then is this, that there are going to be issues that come up where offense can be intentional or unintentional. And a problem can arise. And now once that problem has settled in, Paul had then to address to the best of his ability to bring an attention to the Corinthians that this offense was not simply to him, but that bringing these accusations and this maligning of character was actually also not just hurting him, but the church as well. And it's something that we need to recognize that, and it's going to come up in the passage later, but Satan will use all manner of circumstances to try to divide the church. Why? Why? And here's just a simple acknowledgement. Where we are bound together in the Lord, there is strength, and there is ministry, and there's accomplishment of the Great Commission. There is bonding together to do service to God. Were you appreciative of the choir today? I was. Do you know how much work goes into that? How much sacrifice is bound here? It's a lot. Do you know how much work goes into making a chimer hit the note at the right time? Do you know how much work goes into Sunday school and junior church preparations? Do you know how much work goes into preparing ourselves to come together to be a blessing to each other? The putting away of coffee cups, the cleaning up of stains, the, the knocking down of cobwebs, the, the doing of ministry is stronger when we are together. And far too often, churches see people peeling off and peeling off and peeling off in brokenness, and it always hurts. Now, something I want to say, this is actually a very difficult but mature concept to know. From time to time in church life, you will see people leave. Did you know that it's always going to hurt? If you love people, it's always going to hurt. And you're never going to like it. And you're not supposed to. Why? Because we love the Lord. And we love the Lord, we love each other. And when you care about people, it always hurts to see someone break apart. But it's more than just somebody leaving. It's another partner lost. It's another one who uh, could go with you and strengthen the ministry and strengthen the cause of Christ together that has now decided that they are going to go a separate way. And by the way, I know sometimes there are just reasons that that happens, but these divisions are difficult and can be lastingly hurtful. So what we have to understand is that God, let me, you know the answer to this. What's God's opinion of the church? How does he feel about it? How does God feel about the church? Now, I think you can argue that in two ways. When I say the church, 
I, I'm not really talking about the building, but I am talking about the gathering of God's people. Does God love the gathering of his people? Does he love the people as they are gathered? Is it important to him? Enough that he says, don't forsake it. Enough that he says that we come together to edify. We come together to build each other up. He's given loads of scripture that talk about us being builders and not breakers. But when he says in this that it's the grief not only to me, he says here, but in part that I may not overcharge you all, that phrase is difficult to translate, that I may not overcharge you all. It seems to be giving the essence of we share in this, this is not all me, and it's not all you. But Paul called them into this because the church had to have a response to the dissenter. So here's, here's the difficulty. Now, I don't know what kind of, you know, I'll be careful here. I do know what you want and what God has ordained in leadership of his church, that they are to be followers of Christ, that there be people who direct people towards the Lord and anchored in the truth of scripture. I particularly am, am drawn to and desirous of being falling short of it, but I'm desirous of being around and modeled after people who look like Christ, especially in one particular area, grace-filled people. Grace-filled people are very attractive to me. They are role models for me, and I've got a long way to go. But I love that because it is what looks like Jesus. But in that, when you talk about being grace-filled, some people would say, well, being grace-filled, do you mean that you really don't ever address things that need addressed? And I want to underscore that that is absolutely not the case. Grace doesn't mean that you simply look past sin issues and let them go. It means sometimes that you have to step in and do hard things and have meetings and eyeball to eyeball. <laughs> it doesn't happen that often. But sometimes I will have somebody come to me and say, Pastor Jeff, and then they will say there's an issue with somebody. My, my tactic in this, I try to be consistent in this. I'm sure I fail, but I try to be consistent in this. Rather than stepping in and solve the problem for them, I very often will disciple in grace. And what I will do is I will say, have you talked to that brother or sister? Have you spoken to them? There have been times where someone says something and then someone who doesn't know them in relationship well uh, will then assign motives or, or things to a person and then come to tell me and they usually are pretty fired up. And, uh, and I will simply say, you know, I appreciate you telling me and I, I direct towards a biblical reconciliation. And the way I do it is you need to talk to them. You need to go to them. And can I encourage you to go in love? And instead of accusing, go with questions and say, now you said this, did I understand that right? Did you mean this when you said that? And speak to someone, and here's, what, here's why I say that. I'm taking time to say this, because too often we have a perception and then we move forward with perception that is not based in reality. 
And we can live as if that perception is so. My point, though, is this. In 2 Corinthians 2, verse 5, he then is going to show how the church did indeed engage. And so verse 6, we find that there is a response from the church, and he says, sufficient to such a man is this punishment. And what was the punishment? The church had engaged and was responding in a way At least he's reading the Bible for you. <laughs> and he's even in the right passage. <laughs> I've had it happen too. By the way, one of our young people had a cell phone in the other building. I was preaching about hell. And he had changed the ringer on his phone. And I, and I had just come to an emphatic point about hell. And he had changed his, his ringer to a screaming goat. Perfect timing. <laughs> when he says sufficient to a man is the punishment, is this punishment, there was a living out of this biblical response. There was, I, I'm not just covering in grace, I'm not just ignoring it and letting it go, I am going to step forward in love and address it. It's a rare person that likes confrontation. Matter of fact, people that like confrontation, most people don't like. <laughs> but confrontation does happen and there should be a biblical application of it. And while I say that this passage I don't think refers particularly to 1 Corinthians chapter five, there is a principle in 1 Corinthians chapter five, verse 11, that the church was to bear out. And here's one of those verses, verse 11, 1 Corinthians 5, but now have I written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetousness or covetous or an idolater, and here it goes on to say, or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner, you are to know those people for where they're going, for what they're doing. And he says this, with such and one, no, not to eat. Now, why the illustration of eating? Because eating is really uh, one of the pinnacles of fellowship. It's how, you, it's how you know you're on the same page. You can break bread together. You can be comfortable with each other to host and to fellowship with each other, to be around each other in freedom. That's the idea of eating together. And when there was someone who was marked under these categories, they were drawing a line that if that's where that person is, they're a dissenter or a, rag, a railer as it is in this passage, that I am drawing a line that means I am not going, now this is hard to do, I am purposely not going to open a door of fellowship where I am just intermingling like there's no issue, but in no part does it say to do that without loving somebody. And by the way, that becomes the push. The push is, it doesn't seem like we're getting together. Why are we not getting together? Bringing it to the surface. It doesn't seem like we have the freedom that we had to be friends. What's, what's between us? It magnifies it. And doesn't magnify it just so I can say, well, you are sinning and I am not gonna be around you. 
That's not its end. Its end is to magnify that something is wrong so that it can be made right. So that's what's supposed to happen. The spirit isn't that I am going to continually, continually, continually make them pay. I'll show them. I'll sit on my side of the church and they'll sit on their side of the church and if we go to coffee at the same time, I'll turn my back to them. I ha- I, I'm gonna tell you, I've had, I've had things like this happen to me. I'm pretty dull-witted when it comes to this. And well, I'm, I'm actually really sensitive to this to relationship. I'm very sensitive to it. But I, I'm dull-witted to know if it's really there. So you ever, you ever had someone where you thought something was wrong but you, you weren't quite sure? So I had a time where someone was turning their back on me. And I'm like, well, are they, are they, are they really doing that? Are they really, are they really turning their back on me? So I had to, I had to go to the next level. The next level was I had to manipulate ways to get in front of them so that I could see were they turning their back on me. And, and so I'm doing all these mind games to try to find out, is there a problem? And so if there's a problem, I'm trying to overcome it by having to do a little bit more energetic things to get, her, to, get to the issue, to find out if it really is. And guess what? There was an issue. And what I found is that they were going to be content to stay in that condition. I want to say this as, as firmly as I know how to say it, and I'm not excluded from this. I'm with you. This is not acceptable Christian behavior. All of God's people need to say amen. We all need to affirm this truth. It is not acceptable. It does not look like Jesus. It is not how we are to behave. Now, I'm talking in the church context, but forgiveness has its application both in church and individually in our daily living. When he gives us sufficient to such a man is, his, is this punishment, which was inflicted of many, the church had responded. The church had identified this bad behavior, had initiated discipline, and were carrying out punishment that was felt. Now Paul is saying sufficient. Now sufficient means it is enough. And I want to tell you, now I, I, again, I... I got saved when I was 15. I've been around Baptists ever since. I'm going to tell you something that you may not know. Baptists can be mean. (laughs) Baptists can misbehave. Uh, Maybe not amen, maybe oh me. Uh, It's not, I wish I could be more profound. It's not good. It's not good, not what we should do. But he says sufficient, and here's the thing. There is a time. There is a time where rebuke needs to happen. But there's a time when it's enough as well. And God has to lead us to that. 
And even when there is offense, we need to be builders and not breakers. And so in verse 7, he says, so that contrarywise, instead of continuing this punishment and this weight of they're guilty, they're guilty, they're guilty, so that contrarywise, you ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. So it does appear that Paul is addressing a believer in the church who has sinned. It is my opinion that the particular way in which they they were sinning was being a uh, person who was uh, being a dissenter against Paul, assigning ill motives to Paul, questioning his love to the church, and in that spreading that like a cancer, and it was negatively hurting the body, and now having received that punishment and being felt by the church, there is this sense that this believer could be overwhelmed in the judgment. And now he is saying, it's enough. They got it. They understand. Here's why I'm taking a moment to say that. Many times we are quick to identify a sin or a way a person misbehaved, but we're not as quick to understand when we need to forgive and build that path to restoration. And it's equally as important. It's not good enough just to identify the sin. We also need to be able to build the path to restoration. That needs to be the case. Now, this might be too far removed from you to be of good that it needs to be. So I want to say, yes, this is true of the church, but this needs to drive heart or home to the heart of the individual where you sit, and the concept is forgiveness. Contrarywise, instead of continuing to inflict discipline, you need to forgive this person. There is a time for punishment. There is a time to forgive. But now let's talk for a moment about what forgiveness is. To forgive is to not continue to hold fault against someone. Not continuing to hold fault against someone. You can say this several different ways. Forgiveness is also releasing someone from the punishment of their fault. That's what he's talking about here. Enough. Said another way, it is a decision to not keep a record. One commentary said it this way, refusing to forgive a person demonstrates resentment, bitterness, and anger, none of which are the traits of a growing Christian. Biblically, forgiveness is not just something that the offended person offers, it requires the offender to receive it, bringing reconciliation and restoration to the relationship. All right, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get really personal right now. You ready? Here we go. We're all friends, but we need to be real about where we are and how we navigate as human beings. How many of this room would say, Pastor Jeff, I have forgiven someone? Raise your hand. Boldly, put your hands down. I have forgiven someone, if that's true of you, I have forgiven someone, raise your hand. Boldly, have you forgiven anybody? Okay. Have you ever 
after you have forgiven someone, gotten angry about what they did all over again? (laughs) Raise your hand. And you ask yourself, why, why am I mad all over again? I forgave them. I need to know, do you understand what I'm saying? Are we, can I, can I speak to your heart this way? I hope that I'm, I'm hitting where you are because I've, I've experienced this and the reason I'm taking time to share this is because it was a big deal for me, still is a big deal for me, and this really changed a lot when I felt like God helped me understand what forgiveness was. So I had a time in my life where somebody did something very angering to me and where I had somebody not gotten in the way I would have done them physical harm. I, w- I was prepared. I was a believer. I was, I was saved. I'd been saved maybe a year, year and a half. And when this person did this to somebody I loved, I was ready. I was ready to take hold of them and help them meet Jesus, if that's what it took. <laughs> you ever, I, okay, you, you maybe never been that mad. I, that's where I was. Okay, I was rebuked of the Holy Spirit, rebuked by the word of God, that I needed to forgive that. I did. And then for years after that, I would get, I would find myself angry all over again. What kind of anger? Clist, clenched, clenched fist, clenched fist angry. Kind of, High blood pressure angry. And I kept struggling with, what, why is this happening? And here's, here's what you'll, you'll think. I must not have forgiven them. Or you'll think secondarily, I need to forgive them all over again. I want to tell you, my perspective, you can argue with, throw, throw stones later. I'm going to say neither, neither of those statements are true. Here's what needs to happen. When those feelings come up again, you need to handle them biblically. And one of the ways you handle them biblically is not, I wouldn't call it re-forgiving. By the way, that's not a word. <laughs> or re-forgiveness. Every time I typed it in my notes, it kept going, red line, not a word, not a word. So I put it in parentheses, word, okay. <laughs> so, see, even my spell check says not a word, okay? But you don't re-forgive. What you do is you apply the forgiveness you already gave. You forgave them, now apply it. Now, I'm gonna take a moment in this, I'm dealing with this, sitting on this little egg here for a moment because I think that this needs to hatch in us to understand it. And really, this is combined with a passage I go to so often, you know the verse, but in case you don't, (laughs) I'm glad we're in 2 Corinthians because we're gonna get to land on this verse again. 2 Corinthians 10.5, would you go there? So what happens is we get angry 
over what someone has done. And when you have forgiven them, what often is happening is that you are behaving in your mind in a carnal fashion. And if you don't stop behaving in your mind in a carnal fashion, you're going to keep doing it again and again where you're angry again and again and again. And here's exactly how, you know when that person did that to me, you know how it could be five years after I would get angry again, you know why? Because the thought would come back up in my mind and instead of rebuking the thought and applying the forgiveness that I had given, I would cuddle that thought, I would coddle it, I would, I would give it its oxygen, would give it its flame and let it run. And I'd get mad all over again. And what needs to happen in you as a forgiver is to rebuke those thoughts as not of God and act like Jesus and give forgiveness like he gave forgiveness to you. And so what that looked like for me is when I finally understood that, I recognized those thoughts aren't of God. And instead of nurturing them, I need to reject them. And in this passage, it says, cast it down. So look at 2 Corinthians 10, 5, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Amen. So how am I gonna give forgiveness? I'm gonna stop nurturing my unforgiving thoughts. I'm gonna apply the forgiveness I gave and I'm gonna do it every time there's an opportunity because that's what Jesus has done for me. And I'm gonna tell you, you can live a life broken in this area if you don't reconcile this truth that I'm giving you. Right? I'm telling you, this is a game changer in your life. But what happens is we go back there, we go back there. Oh, if we only have time for the wives to tell all the bad things their husbands have done. We could give each one five minutes but then there would be the men's turn. <laughs> and when there's the men's turn, they could probably come up with a few things too. Or we'll make it up. <laughs> Whatever. What happens is we have an offense, we deal with it carnally, I'll show them. I'll get even with them. I'll make them pay. The Holy Spirit gets a hold of us, rebukes us, challenges us. That is not what Jesus looks like. Lord, forgive me of this, okay? Lord, I'm gonna forgive them. You even tell them I forgive them. But then in the secret recesses of your mind, lying in bed, driving your car, mowing the grass, washing the dishes, washing the laundry, it's going over and over again. So then when you see your spouse, there's a furrowed brow, there's the anger, there's the resentment, there's bitterness. Why? Because you're allowing yourself to live with the unforgiving thoughts that are not of Christ. You've got to kill it. You've got to throw it away. You've got to throw it away. If you don't throw that away, it becomes a huge problem for your future. All right, so we have been going and first gear up the mountain. 
Ready? Second, third, fourth, here we go. Passages. Passages that talk about this forgiveness. Galatians 6, 1, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted, bear you one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, how's it go? Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Colossians 3, verses 12 and 13. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, what? So also do ye. There's not much more that looks like the gospel than when we apply forgiveness. The Christian life, that's kind of a sparkle of what forgiveness is to us. What Jesus did for us. It's, it's the amazing wonder that God, how, how, how much of your sin has God forgiven when you come to Christ, when you come to Christ in faith, how much of your sin has he forgiven? How do we like to say this? He's forgiven past, present, get this, future, no way. Really? Yeah. Pastor Chris texted me this week a reading from some devotional he was reading. He said, God is omnigracious. That's a good word. God is omnigracious. How much grace do you need in your life? Are you done? Are you done? You got all the grace you need? You take another breath, you're going to need some more? So verse 8, 2 Corinthians 2. Wherefore, I beseech you, brethren, I beg you, brethren, I entreat you, brethren, that you would confirm your love toward him. Here's what needs to happen now. Just love. I'm going to tell you, listen, as a pastor, I've had times where people have done bad things. Ha, huh, surprise. And, you know, and I will tell you, many times I wrestle, Lord, how do I handle this? What do I do? Now, some principles I know. Rebuke needs to happen. Forgiveness needs to happen. Restoration needs to happen. How, how, does this, how does this need to get resolved? And by the way, have you ever tried to resolve something with somebody and they would not? Are you then left as a victim of unresolved issue? Well, here's what you do. You are responsible for you. Jesus did not wait for us to, to get it right before he extended his love towards us. Jesus didn't wait for us to, to finally have it all together. We need his forgiveness. He gave whatever we ask. So much so that any sinner on the planet can be saved. Hello? Paul called himself what kind of sinner? The chiefest. Any of you ever think, well, I, I, he may be chief, but I've run a second. I'm pretty close. 
He says, look, what you need to do is love that person and build a bridge to restoration. I agree it's not easy to work through this. I agree you need the Holy Spirit to tell you exactly how to say, what to say, when to say. You ever been so upset with somebody or so involved emotionally that your voice betrayed you? You're trying to be calm. You're trying to build and yet your voice is quivering. I've been there. What do you do? You love like Jesus loves. You're responsible for you. Now listen, in this room, we're filled with a variety of backgrounds, a variety of situations, and in your life, there are people who have done badly to you. And some of those may be perpetually broken where they are not willing to respond like Christ, but you be Jesus. You put on Jesus. You control you. If we had an opportunity this morning to say, I choose to not ever sign up for anybody to have a problem with me again, I think we'd all sign that document. And what I'm telling you is sometimes you don't get to choose. Sometimes they come to you, even when you're doing your best to be a builder, not a breaker. And I want to encourage you with this. You may not be able to fix everything there, but again, you can control you. And you can live a life that looks like Jesus. You can live a life that honors him by how you forgive and how you build and how you represent him in what you are called to. Verse 9 through 11, and I know we're late. This is why we're in fourth gear. For this end also did I write that I might know the proof of you, whether you be obedient in all things. So he's saying, look, you've already done the the rebuking part, but are you going to be obedient in doing the restoring part too? To whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgive anything, to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it in the person of Christ. In other words, look, it wasn't just against me, it was against the church. It's important that we know together we're going to live in a platform of forgiveness. And here's the importance of it, the last verse we're going to cover today. Everybody read verse 11 out loud with me. Verse 11, 2 Corinthians 2, 11, read it out loud. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Can Satan use your lack of forgiveness to destroy? Duh. Right? I mean, that is absolutely true. So when we don't forgive, we've already read some of it. What's the number one category that we would give if we don't forgive what settles in? Anybody know? Take a stab at it. If we don't forgive, what settles in? I would say bitterness. You, you might have said hate. So you got a choice to make on how you're going to handle offenses that come to your life. And can I, can I just say it this way? When I say be baptized into Jesus, I mean be surrounded in his person, be surrendered to his authority, and love and live like Jesus. Now, here, here's, here's the hard part. Now listen, please. I'm, I'm telling you something. I guess you're probably feeling some degree of, 
of um, energy behind this, some imploring behind this. I'm telling you that what God says is true and good, and if you want to have a healthy spiritual life, this is the path. In all the world, in all the categories of relationships where this is magnified, do you want to take a stab at where most commonly this is difficult? People that are married. You know why? Because you live together. And they see and experience that you're a sinner. Just like they experience, you are too. And if we adopt carnal methodologies, we will live broken. And you can live that way, but it's a miserable, cancerous way to live. There is freedom in the forgiveness of Christ in the biblical methodologies that Christ gave, that God has given through his word. There is healing, there is peace, there is joy, there is all kinds, for my lack of better terms, all kinds of goodness in following God's directives. All kinds of it. But nobody can do this for you. No preacher standing in front of you being passionate, no one standing in front of you with tears in their face imploring you can do it for you. You have to make a decision to do it yourself. Nobody can do it for you. You can talk to people till you're blue in the face and it will not change until you surrender to the authority of Christ and obey him. Again, I don't want to distract you too much with this thought. Don't get me wrong. I'm not going to throw the idea of an accountability partner under the bus, but I am simply going to say this. If you won't do right for love of God, you're not going to do right for love of man. And I don't care how many accountability partners you've got around you, 10, 20, 30, 50, 100, when it comes to living these truths, you've got to do it yourself. And it's got to start with a surrender in your heart and your mind with what you're allowing to navigate between those ears. Forgiveness looks like this. It looks like Ephesians where we forgive like Christ forgave us. And what's in danger here, and I know, I, I know our time is done. What's in danger here is that Satan would get a foothold in your life. Now, is Satan a builder or a breaker? Will he break you every time? Is he gonna do good for you? No! Satan will destroy your life. 
if you let him. If you don't decide to obey God in these principles, as Paul said, it's not just me that's in this, it's you as well. And by the way, when it happens in your life, it's not just you where you sit. It's the aura of that unforgiveness that is around you, that affects others. And by the way, you can teach your kids, you can teach your grandkids, it's okay to live this way. It is not. Well, as we sum up then, we started this message today that Christmas really is about forgiveness. So here's the question as we close. We're gonna celebrate Christmas and all kinds of people do it crazy bad. But you and I get to bask in what Christmas really means. If you know Christ, you are sitting here today as a forgiven individual of all sin. So much so that God has called you his child. He's gonna see you in glory. He's gonna see you safely there. He's gonna give you a brand new body. He's gonna give you a new heart. He's gonna wipe away what? All tears. There'll be no more sadness, no more crying. Who are we deserve, to deserve this kind of love and this forgiveness? We don't. But God's love is so great towards us that he offers it. So listen, this Friday, we're gonna preach that message in a cantata. This next Sunday night, we're gonna preach that message in a cantata. But we live with the truth of that forgiveness if we know Christ every day. So we ought to be a people of rejoicing and a people of obedience. If there's somebody you need to forgive, do it. Love, build, be a restorer, be a builder, and not a breaker.